Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, now we're ready for a lesson, and I need to be for the first student. Father, it doesn't matter what I've thought about prior to this moment. I know you put into my mind and heart the things that, that you want said in this moment, and we all come, all of us, ready to learn from you, ready to hear your voice in the Word of God, ready to hear the Spirit of God apply it almost audibly to our lives. And so we pray that your word would change us because it's a living word. It's a powerful word. You tell us it pierces right to the deepest parts of us. And maybe that's where we need it to pierce today. Because there's nothing hidden from you. So Father, we willingly allow your word to do its work in us today. We give ourselves to it and count upon it now asking you this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we continue in our Red Letter Living series, looking at the things that Jesus said, the things that typically, and in many New Testaments, are written in red ink, the red letters uh, in the Scripture, I want to draw your attention not so much today on a teaching of Jesus, Now, pretty much everyone we've had so far has been a teaching of Jesus. And in fact, our key series verse is this. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, these teachings, these instructions, he or she will be like a person who built their house on a solid rock. It becomes an indestructible house. An indestructible life is built out of the teachings of Jesus Christ. We've gone through some 33 of them so far. But today, in just a slight alteration, I want us to focus upon not so much a teaching of Jesus, but upon a demonstration by Jesus. A demonstration of something that that you and I as his followers are to imitate and to do as he did. And so uh, I want us to read a a bit of a longer passage of Scripture. I want to read it to you. And tucked away in this initial passage, and we'll be reading several, but in this initial one are three of five key red-letter statements of Jesus Christ that we're going to focus on today. So that Scripture is found in the Gospel of John, The very first chapter, verses 29 to 49. Turn to somebody and say, I can't believe he's going to read 20 verses. (laughs) Go ahead, just, we we do that. 20 verses, we don't, usually we look for Jesus at about five words, you know, and that's our focus. And, And we'll get to five different examples 
of Jesus' five or six word statements, but three of them are tucked away in this one, and they all kind of flow right together in one big afternoon activity. So let me read it for you. John chapter 1, verse 29. Just listen real good here and, and see to yourself, I wonder which one of these words of Jesus is going to kind of fit into a pattern today. So here we go. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw, that's his John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John goes on, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, this one. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says, I have seen and I testify that this, and he's looking right at Jesus, that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. It's the second time he said that. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which is actually the word Petros, which means rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you know me? Nathanael said. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, all three of those things that we're going to talk about kind of rolled together in that one story. So I wanted you to hear how one happened, then the next, and then the next. 
But here's the first red-letter scripture that I want to pull out of our reading. Going to have five altogether, and three are in this account I just read. How many of you think you know which three they are? Of course, if you're looking at your notes, you're way ahead of everybody else, aren't you? You already know this. Okay, so here we go. Here's the first one. Jesus saw them following. Let me ask you, who was them? Okay, Andrew and friend, right? Kind of wonder who Andrew's friend was. Sometimes John, the writer of the gospel, he never uses his own name. He never says John because he's so humble. He usually uses some euphemism for himself, like the one Jesus loved more than anyone else. (laughs) Just a humble spirit that characterized him. I wouldn't want us to give any names, but it was the one that Jesus loved more than anyone else. Here he's just a friend, is a disciple of John the Baptist. See, these men have been with John the Baptist. They've been baptized by John the Baptist. They've been listening for clues from John the Baptist. And one day John the Baptist says, there he is. The one I've been talking about. The one I've been preparing you for. And so Andrew and friend followed after Jesus. Jesus saw them following and he asked, what do you want? What do you want? I'm going to suggest to you in the line we have here that Jesus could see. That is, he could recognize the hunger in their heart. These men on that day were about 70 or 80 miles away from their hometown. They were down in the area, vicinity at least, of Jerusalem and at the Jordan River where John was doing his baptizing. They were 70 or maybe 80 miles away from home, and they no doubt had walked the whole way. They had heard of John the Baptist. They had heard, they knew from the Old Testament that God says, I will send a messenger before my face, before the coming of the Messiah. And they had traveled all that way. Jesus himself had traveled all that way. And here they are. Just in rough numbers, maybe 80 miles from home, feeding on the teaching of John the Baptist. Repenting of their sins, because you couldn't get baptized by John the Baptist unless you repented of your sins. His was a baptism of repentance. So these were men who were hungry for God. They were Jewish men. They believed in the God of Israel. They had studied the scriptures. They knew the promises. And when John came, they came repenting of sin, being baptized, a baptism of repentance and preparation. And then the day comes where John says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. This is the one I told you about. I saw the Spirit of God descend upon him when he had me baptize him. And it's like the one that John says, I must decrease and he must increase. The one who would increase is right there. And they followed after him. And Jesus says, what do you want? What if you had been one of those two? And Jesus says, so, what do you want, fellas? Uh, have you ever been put on a spot? 
Sometimes guys, we can be put on a spot like this when we're approaching some girl that we're really interested in and don't have a clue what we're going to say. In fact, we might think we have the greatest line in the world, but she looks at us and says, Oh, hi. Ah, what was that smart line I had? Jesus says, What do you want? And they say, Oh, we were just wondering where you're hanging out. That's the best they could come up with. Where are you staying? Well, what do you mean, where am I staying? Well, why not just say, are you really the Messiah? John just identified you as the one who was the... What do you want? We want to know if you're him. We want to know if we found the one or should we continue to look. And the best they could say is, where are you staying? And Jesus cuts them a lot of slack. He just says, come and see. I know that's the most important thing in your life right now, wondering where I'm staying. So come and see. And so they did. And they spent the entire rest of the day with him. And this was the beginning of a lifelong relationship with Jesus. The next three plus years would be on this earth with him, and then for the rest of their lives, their relationship with him would be through his Holy Spirit after he had ascended to heaven. But this was the beginning. They were meeting him. And Jesus would satisfy their hunger for righteousness, joy, and peace. Those are the very things that the Apostle Paul later on would write and say are the characterized characteristics of the kingdom. Righteousness, joy, peace. No matter what is going on, those things come to those who have found the king and who are part of the kingdom. And so Jesus, I believe we could say he recognized the hunger the hunger for God that was in their hearts. Here's now a second thing. After Andrew runs off and gets his brother, Simon Peter, and brings him to Jesus, it says here, and Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, you are Simon, son of John. Now, I don't know if Andrew had already introduced his brother or if Jesus was telling Simon, I, I know who you are. Just like he said something about Nathaniel that would blow Nathaniel's mind. He says, you are Simon, son of John. But I'm not going to call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. Cephas. That's the Aramaic. Peter. The rock. The rock. And I would say to you that Jesus could see, he could recognize the great purpose that God had for Peter's life. Peter was anything but rock-like at this point, right? We know how erratic Peter was, how up and down he was, how driven by emotion he was. Probably his brother Andrew snickered when Jesus says, and you're, you're going to be my rock guy. Andrew says, maybe we're following the wrong one. You're going to be my rock. God has a purpose for you. 
Remember later on when Peter denied the Lord and he went out and he, he wept bitterly. He was probably pretty close to ending his own life out of that despairing moment that Jesus met with him. And, and Jesus says to Peter, actually before it ever happened, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. But when you have returned, you strengthen your brothers. That's almost like saying, Peter, you're going to be the weakest one of the bunch. But when you return, I want you to strengthen them. It's like, really? Really? And Peter became a great, great leader of the early church. You see, God did have great plans for Peter. Peter will, in fact, write some of the scriptures we're going to read this morning. Peter would have a most prominent role. He didn't become the first pope. There wasn't any such thing as a pope. But there were godly men, apostles, leading those early believers and leading them in righteousness and writing the words of God for them to follow. Jesus recognized that. This is a man that my Heavenly Father has a great purpose for. Here's the third one. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. We say there Jesus could see, he could recognize the quality of Nathanael's character. Obviously, this was a, a significant man, a righteous man, an honest man. A man who didn't react quickly and say things stupidly. No guile, no deceit, no trying to, you know, twist reality in a way that uh, makes you either more favorable or makes some situation seem desirable. He was just a truth teller. And Jesus identifies him as an Israelite. Jesus didn't use that term a whole lot. But remember who the man was who was first called Israel? Wasn't it Jacob? You know? A deceiver? One who robbed his, uh, his brother blind? You know, just uh, dressed up and pretended to be somebody he's not? And, and his name became Israel, and the people became Israelites. And Jesus is saying, and here's an Israelite who's not like the first one. No guile in this man. It's a play on words. Nathaniel understood it. He was impressed by it, no doubt. And he says, how do you know me? How do you know me? Now see, he was, he was too honest to be falsely humble. No guile in him. He says, I am a straight shooter. And the Lord recognized that. And Jesus said, well, I saw you before Philip even called you when you were sitting under the fig tree there meditating. And Nathaniel says, I'm in the presence of something awesome. You are the Son of God. You are the Holy One. Those three things... Jesus seeing things in each of these people, in each of these circumstances. Here's now another scripture passage. Let me read it for you. We find it in Matthew chapter 9, just a couple of verses. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 22 to 20, or 20 to 22, it says, Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, a hemorrhaging situation for 12 years, could not be resolved. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment on. Our fourth red letter scripture is found in that little passage. Jesus turned and saw her, and he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. I believe in that situation we could say Jesus saw he recognized the sincerity of this woman's faith. What did last week's red-letter scriptures reveal? Do you remember? That was a whole week ago. Jesus said the work of God is what? To believe in the one that he has sent. Right? Because it takes work to believe. Oh, we can say we know stuff, but if you believe it, you're committed to it. Your life is altered by it. You You are surrendered to whatever the thing you believe in is calling for. And Jesus said that's powerfully impressive to God. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you believe in the one he has sent, believe he is the Son of God, believe he has come from heaven to earth, now there's so much more to believe. Believe that he did die on the cross for the sins of the world. Believe that he did rise from the dead on the third day. And now believe that he, the Son of God and the Father, sent the Holy Spirit to take Christ's place and to continue Christ's work of of just redemption in this world. Believe that. Believe that. Well, my goodness. This long-suffering woman believed in the power and the goodness of Jesus Christ. She believed that he had the power to heal and she believed he had the willingness to heal. She knew she didn't even have to ask didn't even have to interrupt him because he was traveling from one place to another on a mission of mercy. She didn't even have to break into the moment. She just had to reach out and touch him and say, if I just touch him, just touch his robe, his cloak, it'll be enough. She reached out to him in absolute, complete faith And Jesus recognized and publicly revealed the presence of that faith in her. He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. He could have said, you've done one of the works that please my heavenly father. You've believed in me and demonstrated it. And you are healed. And she was healed from that moment. Here's now a third and final passage I'd read for you. We find some words of Jesus here. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them, Jesus and the Sadducees, debating. Noting that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Jesus, 
of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. So that's our fifth red letter statement of the morning. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. With that man, in that man, Jesus could see. He could recognize how close that man was to salvation. Now, there might have been something in that story that you didn't really catch as we went through, so let me just explain this part to you. This man was a teacher of the law. That means he was a, a student of the Old Testament and every little detail, and as the Jews used to like to say, every jot and tittle, the small, two smallest points in, in G, Greek or in Hebrew pronunciation and grammar, Every jot and tittle need to be accounted for. This man should have been a stickler for that. For every jot and tittle being kept right where it belongs. But in the presence of Jesus, he changed his perspective. You see, Jesus, in that statement, put two things together that are not together in the Old Testament. This man, this teacher of the law, asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like this is a test that Jesus needed to pass. Everybody knew. The statement in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And, and how, what Jesus just said. That's it. There's only one great commandment. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say there's two. There's one. And it's right there. The Jewish man would repeat that regularly to his children, to his family. But here Jesus took the biggest law of all that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Jesus combined it with an obscure regulation found in a huge list of regulations lay down in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Greatest law that everybody would agree to in Deuteronomy 1, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then in Leviticus, chapter 30, where there's a list, or 19, where there's about 30 directives there, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do this. At the bottom of that list, you find, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like a throwaway statement. 
I mean, it's just part of the great big batch of things that any good Jew ought to do. By the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is then taking this obscure thing that a lot of them probably hardly had even read or knew where to find it, and he tucked it and connected it to the most important one in the entire Old Testament. Now, here's my point. This man followed right along with him. And he says, well said. Well said. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is better than all sacrifices and and offerings. Jesus had to say, man, this is a teacher of the law like I've never run into before. Most teachers of the law would say, you're wrong, Jesus. Those two things don't go together. I don't even know why you picked up that little obscure phrase. I mean, it's nice, love your neighbor as yourself. But how about the other 29 things that are listed right around it? But this man got hit with the truth of God in such a way that he could just say, that's right. That's right. If we would love God with our entire being, and if we would love our neighbor with the same kind of love and concern that we give to ourselves, that would be better than anything else. The combination of those two things would bring us and would bring this nation and would bring this world to a place where God could say, well done. Well done. Teacher, you have spoken excellently. And Jesus looked him right in the eyes and he says, you know, you are not far from the kingdom. He could have said, I I don't think I've met another Jew so far. Anything like you. For most teachers of the law, what I just said are fighting words. Words to argue about. Words to nitpick over. Words to point out that I I put two statements from two different Old Testament books together as though God gave them as one complete sentence. And you just said, well said. Well said, Jesus. For it's obvious that to love God and to love our neighbor is the whole ball of wax. And he got it. Jesus could see that. He could see how close this man was to salvation. This would be the kind of man who would follow Jesus' ministry eagerly. This is the kind of man who would take in every teaching Jesus gave. This would be the kind of man who would become one of those first teachers of the Jews who would believe in the resurrection and would become a true born-again follower of Jesus Christ. On this day, maybe three years ahead of any of that happening, Jesus says, you're not far. The door to salvation isn't open yet, but you're right there as soon as it opens. I know you're going to jump right through. An amazing man. Have you ever run into anybody that you, you just sense they are so close to accepting Christ? They're just so close that uh, it excites you to just be around them and hear them talking. 
Because it's like, you know that there may even come a moment where you're not even sure when they pass over, when they pass in. It's like they've become totally sold out to Jesus. They accept him, they believe in him, they understand why he came, what he did, and they, they are seeing their life completely taken over by his spirit. And just before that happens, you're, you're in their presence and you say, oh man. Do you remember any of you when you were that person? When you were starting to hear the truth? And you were, you were more and more drawn in, more and more drawn in, and, and discovering that there's an answer for your sinfulness, there's an answer for eternal life, there's one who loves you and died for you and rose again from the dead, and, and that the Heavenly Father is, is holding out his, his hand to you. You remember when those things were first is grabbing a hold of your mind and then they grabbed a hold of your heart and pretty soon your will got involved and you said, I give myself to Christ. There's nothing better I can do. And you did so with a smile on your face. You didn't get drug kicking and screaming into the kingdom. You know, nobody does. Anybody who ever says that is completely out to lunch. People come into the kingdom with a smile on their face or they're not coming into the kingdom. They're coming into something else. This man, though, I bet, imagine when he looked Jesus in the eye and says, oh, well, well said, well said. He could have said, I never heard anybody put those two scriptures together before like you just did. But Lord, that was, that was awesome. And the point of it is, it's so real. It's so right. It's so, whether it's obscure and, pro, and, and publicly known, once you put those together, it's like that sums up the entire Old Testament. That sums up everything God wants us to know. Oh. Isn't there a delight in your heart and a satisfaction when you finally know something? Say, I know it. I know it. And to have Jesus say, you're, you're not far. You're not far from the kingdom. And that was not a put down. That was saying, I'm here saying to people, get ready. The kingdom is coming. It's not here yet. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. And you're not far from it. It's almost like saying, you stick with me and you'll get there. We'll get there together. Because I am the door into that kingdom. Oh man, how awesome is that? Now, here's the point. What was Jesus demonstrating in all five of these situations? I've, I've kind of phrased it. We've used the word, and, and of course you might be got it in your mind already. But today's key concept tries to just express it. We say, in Jesus Christ we encounter a recognition like no other. Meaning, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He sees us. And when he sees us, he recognizes the most critical things about us. There's a sense in which all of us in this room, we might say, hey, we're all the same thing. And in a sense, we are. All of us who put faith in Jesus Christ are followers of Jesus Christ. We're children of God. We've been born again through faith in Christ. 
all of us are the same. We're all members of this particular fellowship. We're here in this room together. But there's an, also a sense in which not two of us are alike. There's not two of us alike in this room. And when our Savior Jesus looks at us, he doesn't confuse us one for the other. He says, John chapter 10, verse 14. This is Jesus' own statement on the subject. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Never will he confuse you with someone else. Never will he call you to someone else's task. Never will he hold you accountable for someone else's mess up. Every time his eyes light on you, they light up with recognition. Every time you would enter the Father's presence in prayer, he opens the door for you and announces you personally. You see, his shepherding task did not end when he ascended to heaven. Here's how that solid rock disciple Simon Peter put it. 1 Peter, and this is chapter 2, verse 25. Peter says, speaking to the new believers in his day, he said, you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he's speaking of Jesus. The shepherd and overseer of your souls, who's in heaven this very moment. Jesus was in heaven when Peter wrote these words. So he's saying there's still a role. Jesus didn't give up that role of shepherd and overseer. He sent the Spirit to work on his behalf, doing the actual guiding of our lives and the directing of our lives, but he is still our shepherd. He is still the one who oversees the work that the Spirit is doing in our soul. This is a current day ministry of Jesus Christ. He oversees and provides for the needs of our souls. He recognizes difficulties when they arise. He ministers healing and help to us through the Holy Spirit whom he sent to companion us every step away, on the way. Recognition of need. That's where his shepherding task begins. It's a great and awesome gift. Jesus has it. He models it. And now hear this word from Petros, Simon, the rock-like one. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, He's writing to the leaders of the church, but every one of us is a leader of someone, of some situation. He says, you, you now be shepherds of God's flock, which is under your care. See, you do for others what Christ does for you. You shepherd them. This is how we put this demonstration of Jesus into practice. This is how we develop a little bit more rock-like stability in our own lives. Recognize the needs, especially the spiritual needs, in those around you. All these people that came to Jesus, the five situations, they were all different situations, but in each one, Jesus recognized something unique that he could address. 
something unique that needed to be addressed. And Peter, who was, who was shepherded marvelously by the Lord himself, says to all of us, now you, you take up the shepherding responsibility in your home, to anyone, especially any believer that kind of comes along into your life space and might be looking for you, and we never see them following us and saying, what do you want? See, you can say those words that way, or you can say them the way Jesus must have said, what do you want? What do you want? You know, whatever you want, just let me know. But there are people in our lives who spiritually have wants and needs, and they show up in our space, and they look to us. And Peter would say, you be like Jesus. Learn from his uh, example and follow his example. Give yourself to the meeting of those needs whenever your help is requested. And remember, our final thought says this, no one knows us like Jesus knows us. His is a recognition like no other. And he would have us see people as clearly as he did. That's a gift. A gift from the Holy Spirit of vision, of recognition, to see people as they are, to perceive what their needs are, and then have your heart stirred in the meeting of those needs, those ones that God brings to you. Our Heavenly Father, we, we examine quite a few interactions that Jesus had with people that let us see commonly in all of these situations, another word is he was discerning. He could see what was going on. He could sense their need. He could reach out to them and minister to them. And, and Father, he would have us follow in his steps. Most of us know what it's like to be ministered to. Most of us know what it's like to have people recognize our needs, and we, we always hope they will. But Father, for us to be the one, for us to be the one who recognizes what's really going on in the lives of the people around us, that takes the grace of God. That takes a willingness within ourselves, and it takes a just a work of the Spirit to open our eyes, to see people as they need to be seen. So, Father, help us to do that this week. Help us to take Christ as our example and put this example into practice in our life, that people would find us to be the rock-solid type that they can count on. So we ask this, bring blessing through this congregation, bring blessing through each one of us in this room today, to this next week, to someone that you send our way. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. 
If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.